Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Movie. This week we are talking about the 1995 James Bond movie, Goldeneye. It's the first James Bond movie uh, featuring Pierce Brosnan as the 007 agent. Uh, this was directed by Mar- uh, director Martin Campbell, which you might recall from a few weeks ago, uh, also directed The Mask of Zorro. Uh, also directed, came back to the Bond franchise for Casino Royale in 2006, and directed uh, Jackie Chan in The Forest, The Forester, The Foreigner in 2017. <laughs> he just goes through the forest chopping down trees. He with does kicks. with his bare fucking hands, man, yeah. and kicks, headbutts, kicks too. headbutts one or two. Uh, I did th- so. This is um, this is my favorite of the Pierce Bronson uh brosnan uh james bond it's not even close jim what did you think of this movie i mean mine too uh yeah pierce brosnan is a great bond in my opinion uh who got one really really good movie and a bunch of stinkers like three other stinkers uh yeah this movie is a classic i saw this movie when it came out which i was 13 years old at the time and a lot of it just kind of washed over me uh and I didn't quite understand it. It just sort of went over my head um, with the Cossacks and their relationship to the Russians and all that stuff and the British especially. But like going back and watching this as a 38-year-old man, uh, I got a lot more out of it. And I think it's actually pretty tightly written. Yeah, we were doing a we were trying this experiment where we used the Netflix party app to watch it with a bunch of club members. Um, And the trade off in watching something you haven't seen in a long time or something you haven't seen before and trying to entertain people at the same time is you miss a bunch of things. And I was uh, I, I remember when we were kind of yucking up thinking, oh, man, this movie doesn't hold together as much as I would like. Like, I definitely appreciated the individual set pieces. And I think Pierce is, again, an excellent bond. But I'm like, man, I don't know if all this plot connects. Um, I mean, it's a James Bond movie, uh, which means it definitely goes by the rule of cool. But I think mm-hmm. this is one of the tighter plotted Bond films, and it's fr- fairly sophisticated in how it tells its story. Um, again, for a James Bond film. Yeah. So because I've always said that this was like um, like a C plus pop plot with like A plus casting and an execution but I think it's it's bet that's like damning it with faint, faint praise. It's a pretty tight plot. It's got um, one of the best bonds. I mean, I know some people prefer uh, uh, Sean Connery. I know some yeah. people prefer more um, Lazenby. Supposedly I mean, had one of the all time great bonds, and then there's da- Daniel Cla- Craig admires. But I think like when I close my eyes and think of James Bond, I see I see Mr. Brosnan. No, I think the your much like your first uh, video game console, your first bond is your greatest bond, mm. and this was absolutely my first bond. See, my dad loved my actually my mom did too. Like uh, one of the reason this James Bond film is her antithesis. It's loaded with sex and violence and confusing juxtapositions of both. Um, and my mom, uh, who turns out is a huge hypocrite, loved the James Bond movies, had no problem with me seeing these things on opening night. Um, but my dad is a huge James Bond fan. And one of my favorite things is like ABC Sunday night movie premieres would often be uh, the two or three times a year would be a James Bond film. 
and I would love to stay up late and watch the whatever, you know, living living daylights or living live and let die and die and let live and die another day and die, die, die. All the classic James Bond movies. And yeah. of course, I didn't get anything except for I thought the gadgets were cool. And mm-hmm. I liked that he punched people and sometimes he'd swim with sharks and have to kill those two. Uh, exactly. That was my feeling on GoldenEye. Is like right. I really love the stunts. I really love the explosions. I love the action scenes. Right. But 95, I was 18, so I was actually able to. This is the first Bond I ever saw in a theater, like on opening night. And like it seemed more sophisticated to me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, probably because I was just able to understand everything. It all came together. But I think it's also got one of the all-time great Bond villains. I mean, Sean Bean is a great actor, as, as it turns out. Um the like Cossack plot, the more you understand that, the the the, the more intriguing that 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 gets to be uh, him yeah. leading this Janus and have this long term plan to enrich himself and also bankrupt and destroy the country that he hates um, him being a former double O himself. I thought that stuff is really good. It's got some it's got a good it's got two good Bond girls, um, the villain Xenia on top, um, who's way over the top, but really fun. And Famica Jensen is very attractive and having a, a, a good time playing her. And then Natalia, I think her problem is she's a transitional Bond girl. Like, there's no good reason for her and Bond to have a romantic relationship in here, except for they do. But I think the actor that plays her is got terrible chemistry with Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm really struggling with this guy's name. I've said it wrong my entire life. I'm trying to get do right. Um, and there, the, the, the times where the movie really grinds to a halt is where they're trying to advance the romance plot between these two. When really, yeah. the story is she's just a really capable, resourceful woman um, who is kind of instrumental to winning the day. Mm-hmm. And then they shoehorn the, the, you know, they shoehorn the romance in with her at the, at the very end. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff around um, the, the edges of this Bond movie that I think is barely there enough to matter um and it might have actually been better if they didn't even attempt it like some of that romance stuff is in is in that category but also they're trying to humanize bond or or at least question like why he isn't very human like yeah um and why none of this killing affects him but honestly like that that's the only glimmer of james bond being a human being in this entire movie and it's not enough to to sway my opinion on James Bond. It's not enough to get me to sympathize with him or to get me to like question his motivations. It's just there to be there. It feels like, yeah, um, like it, maybe there was another ten minutes of this movie that got cut, mm. you know, to fit in another spectacular action scene that mm. it just didn't connect. I agree. There's uh, this suffers from being a kind of a transitional Bond too, in that like it's uh, post Cold War, but just just. Like, uh, this is the first James Bond since the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Ber- Berlin Wall. Uh, yeah. So there's kind of like, man, what is what is even the villain? Um, it's also the first Bond to get filmed in Russia for that same reason. They, they oh, filmed wow. a lot of stuff on on site in St. Petersburg. Um, and James Bond himself, like, you know, they really plumbed the depths of his pathos and like Casino Royale and some of the other uh, Daniel Craig movies, but they try to do that in some of these Brosnan movies. And you're right. It, you know, like the film itself is saying like, like the film itself is saying you're a cold war dinosaur and you shouldn't exist. And like this movie is kind of like half. Yeah, you're right. And half fuck you. I'm still going to do all the James Bond shit anyway. (laughs) Um, which, you know, honestly, it holds up better as kind of like, um, 
just treading the line of being satire and being kind of like a dark comedy than if they went like full blown, you know, political, politically correct bond. That would have aged really, really poorly, I think, if you go back and watch it 25 years later. Oh, yeah, from 1995, uh-huh. for sure. And, and I don't know that Pierce Brosnan has the the look to pull off like a Daniel Craig-style James Bond. He's much more like the, the Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton uh, shape of a Bond, Yeah, where you need him to be you know, a womanizer, and you need him to be... Uh, the dinosaur and the, the guy whose methods are just based on his gut. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think Daniel Craig gets to that same place as as Pierce Brosnan does, and it doesn't need to, you know. Speaking of the first, this is also the first James Bond that is not based on an Ian Fleming novel. Hmm. Um, in fact, it draws its name Goldeneye from uh, Fleming's uh, estate that he maintained in Jamaica, that his beachfront property where he wrote all the James Bond novels. Uh, and also was which was his estate named after an intelligence operation he worked on during the Spanish Civil War uh, called Operation Goldeneye. And it was a is a plot to firewall off Spain from increasing Nazi fascism from Germany. Um, huh. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, do you want to talk some random Goldeneye facts? Because I had a whole like in researching this. I found a yeah. bunch of them. So before. Negotiating a Pierce Brosnan, Brosnan, um, they approached Mel Gibson, Hugh Grant, and Liam Neeson to play the role of James Bond. Hugh Grant's the only one who could have even come close to pulling that off. Uh, Liam Neeson would have been like a sledgehammer version of Bond. You don't think more like Daniel Craig? I don't. I don't even think he's like a like you know Liam Neeson's a brute, but he does have yeah. kind of an air of gentility that he can and sophistication he can pull off. I'm trying to think what I've seen him in that would make me think he could be a good Bond. It's not Star Wars. <laughs> it's not Taken. <laughs> I'm looking at like Love Actually, where he's just playing a, a, like a regular dude. He's gonna be kind of okay. charming. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe yeah. he looks out of six foot five. He looks out of place in a tux anywhere. Uh, but Mel Gibson, that'd have been a full blown fiasco. And he, oh, uh, yeah. Hugh Grant, I don't know. He's got. I, I think he could have. Uh, I don't know. He's got like an awkward charm to him. I. I don't know that that fits a Bond. He'd be an interesting, like, yeah, awkward kind of uh, PC uh, s- satire of James Bond. I was gonna say it'd be more like the original Casino Royale, where you've got the. the it would almost be a satire. Uh, then they also for the role of Alec Trevelyan. I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, they originally envisioned him as an older character. It was going to be a mentor figure to Bond, like one of his trainers. Um, and they approached Anthony Hopkins and Alan Rickman for the role. But they are turned down and when they cast Sean Bean. They re- they reimagined the role as a uh, uh, as as a peer, which is cool because I, I think it's yeah. like the first and only time that we see two double O agents working together. Um, I'm not. Uh, James Bond lore master so that might be incorrect it's certainly either. the first one I've seen um, they also you know when I say this plot is pretty tight um, keep in mind that they had to make changes to the plot because when they were starting to film it, uh, True Lies came out in 94 and I guess the alpha version of this plot was very very similar so they had to do lots of, lots of changes and remixes to make sure they didn't step on any um, you know copyright toes uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Also, um, none of the cast that portrays Russians or former uh, former Soviet Union citizens are actually Russians. Oh, of course. 
Isabella uh, Skorup, Skorupko. Uh, Natalia is Swedish. Famke Jansen, of course, is is Dutch. Um, Oromov is German. Uh, there, it goes like Robbie huh. Coltrane is, you know, and, and Alan Cummins are both Scots. So, um, yeah, I think it shows the, the accent work is not amazing in this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like one of those things where if you don't care about like offending Russians, it's kind of fun and easy to do a broad. Yeah. yeah. Plotting big trouble for moose and squirrel type <laughs> Russian <laughs> accents. And just I tell everybody to do that. Go for like the most stereotypical kind of Russian keep drinking vodka till you get there. Um, I feel like Boris literally was doing a Boris from Rocky Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> that might be where they got the name for it. It's like, you yeah. know what? You sound just like, uh, I also want to talk about Pierce Brosnan himself as a James Bond. Um, why do you think he's so good? Cause I've got a couple theories, but I want to know why you think he's such a good bond. I, Hmm. Why is he a good Bond? I, I don't know. So there's something about a, when I look at one of the Bonds, I can just say, do they look like a Bond to me? And Pierce Brosnan looks the most like a Bond of any of the James Bonds that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he might have been born in, t- in a tuxedo. Yeah. He's got that gentility, that, uh, um, you know, sophisticated air. But also he's got like this cold blooded reptilian uh, that comes out in the way he moves. Like I, I felt I uh, when you look at them assaulting the uh, chemical weapons base, him and Sean Bean, the way they move, I thought was very good, efficient, predatory. Um, yeah. Like in all of his action scenes, he doesn't give a fuck, and he's completely unflappable as like explosions are going off. But he does mug every once in a while. Like mm-hmm. he's got this, um, you know, the 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 flirting that him and like Xenia on a top do. Uh, is outrageous as is bond custom and you need it you need to be able to kind of like cock your head and your eyebrow at the camera to make it okay sure to make it not just like laugh out loud and he's like a master at those subtle like uh, facial expressions especially when he's doing the sexual innuendo and stuff um, but I also just really like how like uh, there's a scene in the uh, the golden eye bunker the the radar dish where he's like wiring a bomb while there's bullets going off and like grazing by his head and he just kind of does this like half flinch but he doesn't stop what he's actually doing and it yeah, I don't know yeah. it just sells a guy that's comfortable with danger and he's going to get the mission done no matter what and he's there's also like an efficiency of movement I think in his acting where yeah. like he he seems like a very skilled athlete but one who doesn't you know isn't look, looking to show off or isn't he's just like okay, this is what I have to do and I'm doing it right now. Uh, there's also like a lack of hesitation on his part, right? When he needs to do something, it's it's sprung into action before I, as a viewer, even realize he's going to do it. Yeah, I want to say that like there's a couple times where he took off running in this movie that I'm Tom Cruisean. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise is the master at like looking like he is like covering a mile a minute when he's running. And, and Pierce has got a little bit of that gear too where... Yep. He's just uh, in it. And it also looks effortless. It looks like he's not expending the energy that that you would moving that fast. Yeah, uh, like when he's up on the, the dish and he's yeah. running across the catwalks or when he's like trying to run down the plane in the beginning of the movie. Uh, uh-huh. He's really got that. Uh, it's like the opposite yep. of Jim Carrey sprinting in an Ace Ventura. You got <laughs> okay. you got 
at the at the ends of human locomotion, you've got Ace Ventura running and you've got Tom Cruise running and Pierce is like 90 percent of the way towards Tom Cruise running. I want to say I've seen Danny DeVito attempt to run. <laughs> that might Don't be like see, the, the opposite end of the spectrum. That's, that's like attempt. He doesn't quite get to run. OK, fair. you know, um, it's like a giraffe. Do giraffes really run or did they ever <laughs> give above of like a canter? Um, elephants, they just kind of like brisk. They they they, they speed walk. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to talk about before we get into kind of like the plot and other things is a big part of James Bond um, are is the theme song and the intro. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very above average, if not one of the better theme songs. Goldeneye. I did not know this written by Bono and the Edge uh, yeah. perf- performed by Tina Turner is like a quintessential Bond uh, theme. Uh, and I love the like, you know, there's so much like this, like naked women with sledgehammers busting apart Soviet iconogra- <laughs> iconography, icon. How do you say that? Yeah. Iconography. Iconography. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, this this intro is when I was 13, this might have been the hottest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, sure. Uh, all of all of the like Hamill, uh, side breasts, <laughs> hammer and sickle stuff, all that stuff went over my head. I had no idea what that was. Sure. But but yeah, you got like a lot of a lot of good highlights with the lighting mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, 13 year old me was pretty into. Uh, actually, 38 year old me is pretty into, you know? Yeah. Um, not bad I get I get a little more of the symbolism the iconography as you said yeah and like the two-faced imagery uh, that fits mm-hmm. in with the Janus and fits in with like uh, the two-faced Scarface thing that uh, Sean Bean's rocking at the end um, I think it's great I th- it's it's kind of bonkers and the lyrics are weird in the context of some of this stuff like you know watched you from the shadows as a child like is that Sean is that uh, Sean Bean is that Alec talking about the British government <laughs> it could be I don't, I don't know uh what's your favorite what's your favorite uh Bond theme I can't think of a lot of Bond themes uh I mean this is definitely up there but I don't know we we listened to the Madonna one just before this uh which I think is a bad one it doesn't fit with the Bond uh style yeah I think uh, Paul McCartney's Live and Let Die is my all-time favorite Bond theme. I can't even picture that one in my head. I just hear the Guns N' Roses Live and Let Die oh. uh, lyric in my head when I hear Live and Let Die. Yeah, it's got like, a, it's 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 an interesting kind of schizophrenic song because it's got like three different tones and parts of it. But like, I really like the slow stuff and I really like the when the, you know, uh, the tempo really kicks in and all the electric guitars and stuff. I that's that's my favorite. Um, Billy Eilish's new one for Die Another Day is it Die Another Day? Yeah, the new one. It sounds really go- cool. It came out like a week huh. before the thing got shelved until later this year, or maybe next year. Yeah, I don't think I've heard it. Uh, do you want to talk about the plot, or do you have any other like random Bond things to talk about before we get to the actual damn movie? No, let's talk about the movie. Um, I, one of the things I really appreciate about this film is like the first 15, 20 minutes, you don't have a great idea of what the hell Bond is doing and what his mission is. And Mm -hmm. it kind of lets you, it it reminded me a lot of the, the really good parts of, uh, better call Saul where you just have like Mike fucking around in his living room and he's got like nails and hoses and water sprinklers and staple guns. And you're like, well, what, what is this guy doing? Or he's like hanging a shoe from a 
you know, a high uh, a power line and, and you're just kind of watching a professional go about and do his job. And you see mm-hmm. kind of Bond on a mission putting together like, uh, you know, he's in Monaco and he's in a car and there's this car race with Xenia on the top. And it's like, why is there connection? Why is this happening? And then he follows her to this casino and then he follows her to the yacht and you see him kind of looking at the destroyer with a helicopter and putting things together. Um, but I admire that. Like, it's, they really don't tell you what the hell's going on until there is a scene where Judy Dent shows up and essentially tells you what's been happening um, yeah. for, like, the slower folks to catch up and for the smart folks to be like, aha, I knew it. Um, but I See, I really like that type of storytelling. I thought the the sort of disconnected part you were talking about was the actual beginning before the intro song. Well, see, I um, I traditionally don't require the opening of a James Bond movie right. to have anything to do. It's kind of like a, a Indiana Jones. Like when it does, yeah. it's a bonus. But a lot and the, of t- the only real connection I can tell on this one is that Ormov is uh, part of the whatever plot they've got. I think it's yeah. like a poison gas or something. It's, it establishes a, a, a previous connection to the uh, other side of the villains. Yeah. And a reason why James Bond might be a little uh, hot headed in this scenario, you know, out for revenge. Yeah. How do we feel about the game Baccarat? Uh, I've never played it. I don't know any of the rules. I have to say I do love a good rectangular poker chip, though, or rectangular mm. chip for a game of chance, I guess. Mm. I feel like it's selected because no one knows how to play it. And it's so uh-huh. exotic, like you have these paddle these wild paddles and where everything's dished out and it's 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 uh but but it it seems sophisticated and it seems like something rich people would play in monaco i was gonna say legally i think it's the only game you can play in monaco and it's the only game is that true no it's not it's definitely not (laughs) yeah it's the only game allowed in monaco and you can't play it outside monaco um they have a lot of interesting things like they do a lot with like the Russia being because we didn't know what Russia was going to turn out. We still don't know. Like uh, they're 30 years in their experiment with uh, capitalism and democracy. Um, but they portrayed this like Russia being this land of opportunity. Um, and it is like throwback to this time in like American politics where. I think we genuinely believe that like, oh, yeah, the Soviets have been overthrown. They got capitalism now. They're voting for elections. Uh, this is going to go 100 percent cool. <laughs> and in 2020, where there's lots of tensions between us and Russia and, uh, you know, still, even though they've they've changed a form of government, they still have interests that conflict with ours. Um, it's really interesting to see kind of like this early post glasnost period in American culture mm-hmm. and, and our thoughts of Russian culture, I thought. Yeah. Um, did you know there's a couple of other interesting backstories to like uh, this uh, Admiral character, the Xenia on top crushes to death with her thighs. Hmm. Okay. He's a Canadian Admiral. Uh, and I guess that he was written as an American Admiral and they changed it the last minute because the uh, American Navy was having problems with like tail hook at the time and like sexual deviancy and assault and stuff in, in the, the naval institution. So to avoid offending uh, or, or, or further besmirching the, the, the Navy's name, they changed it to a Canadian admiral uh, because Canada's like, eh, we don't have a reputation for like raping and assaulting women. So sure, we can take it. Huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's like, 
why not have a woman crack an admiral like a walnut as kind of like commentary slash revenge on that? Uh-huh. Seems kind of short-sighted to me. Um, but the, they all the, there's a couple other things. So they they the, the plot is they want to steal. There's a kind of complicated plot. They yeah. want to steal the super helicopter that's immune to electro electromagnetic pulses. So they, they then can go and steal the GoldenEye tracking system, which has two satellites, um, one of which they'll use to nuke the satellite control station in Russia so they can steal it and get away um, scot-free, taking out all the satellites so they can't be tracked, um, mm-hmm. and then use it to steal money and bankrupt Russia. Um, Bank- bankrupt. Oh, I'm sorry, bankrupt England. England. Yeah. Yeah, bankrupt England and, and destroy that country. Mm-hmm. But... First of all, like the effects of the EMP are wildly exaggerated. Of course. Like I believe the planes would crash and all that stuff, but like the electrical storm that happens within the facility and all the explosions and stuff. And one of the funniest <laughs> one of the funniest consequences of the EMP is apparently it made a dog sled crash and flip <laughs> over, <laughs> killing the apparently the dog musher. Oh, yeah. Just outside a satellite facility so that Natalia could find it and then mush her way to uh, St. Petersburg and and back to civilization. In just a a sweater and a see-through blouse, I think, uh, is what she's wearing in that scene. I'm not sure, actually. She's Russian, so she's kind of she's used to the cold. That's fair. (laughs) And, you know, she's 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 a very she's a slim, slim lady. She could probably kill half the dogs, make uh, some Mm -hmm. some rough, rustic cold weather gear from their skins and use the remaining dogs to mush her way back to St. Petersburg. All right. If she had shown up in some badly stitched dog furs, Mm -hmm. I would absolutely believe that she could have survived that, but she did not. Uh, What do we think about Boris? Uh, I love Boris and I hate Boris. Boris is a gross human being. Um, But as a 13 year old, he was endlessly entertaining to watch. Like Mm -hmm. this is, one of my introductions to hacking in cinema, it's a very, very bad one. Like this and Dennis Nedry, right? Are the two... It, well, I was going to say, I have in my notes, this is uh, this film's version of Dennis Nedry. And mm-hmm. I don't really know why, because there aren't a lot of comparisons to make other than maybe the clothing. But... The and the uh, the like the playful, uh, ludicrous gift imagery of the... of the hacking. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, the the sense of smug self superiority. Because that's what, something I couldn't put my finger on. That's why I think it's really interesting, and I think it's there's two things that makes the chemistry work. First of all, Alan Cummings is just he has really good chemistry with the Natalia character. Um, yeah, yeah. And you kind of believe that like no one takes this guy seriously, no one's threatened by him. They kind of roll their eyes and engage with him on their own terms. And also, like he. Um, I think one of the thing, other things that makes it works is that he like denigrates her constantly once he be, reveals him, himself as being the one of the bad guys and says like oh you know, she's she's not she's barely a programmer she can only use the guidance system she's this and she's that and yet she's in, she's super resourceful she takes a dog sled uh, uses that to parlay herself into some kind of like demo for a laptop so she can uh, uh, approach Boris. She mm-hmm. uses her guidance system knowledge to destroy the GoldenEye system. She commandeers a helicopter at gunpoint to rescue James Bond at the end. Like, yep. she just is a living refutation of all the bullshit she, he says about her. Um, yes. I enjoyed that. Yeah, also, she cracks his stupid password. Cracks uh, a stupid password. And, and uses his own spike against him. 
uses spike spikes it right in his face. Uh, I also need to do something clever with Boris in that he goes out to get a cigarette and then the helicopter lands with the two bad guys in it. And if you look at it with a knowledge of what's happening, all of their interactions are completely compatible with them being associates. Mm-hmm. Um, but you assume from what you know about Oromov and Anna Top's previous behavior that when she puts on her cap and kind of gives him a wicked smile and takes her gun that he's just going to die. Yeah. Uh, I thought that's, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good way to conceal the twist. Uh-huh. I yeah. agree. Um, also, like... <laughs> I thought it's funny that Natalia, like she's a satellite tracker. She does guidance systems uh, and she's Russian. And this is 1995. So the satellite that she's checking on is, of course, the Mir space station. <laughs> okay. Like you'd have to pick that or Sputnik as one of two, uh-huh. like recognizably to the Western audience as a Soviet satellite. You know, I yep. thought that was funny. It's like, oh, yeah, just, uh, I'm going to check on Mir right now. Um and he's got the cl- classic lines uh, from Boris with the, the American slugheads. Mm-hmm. The way he says slugheads or uh-huh. uh, however he says it is just classic. Then, uh, you know, his I'm invincible, that thing. Mm-hmm. They established that really uh, early on, which has a satisfying yeah. conclusion at the end of the movie. Um, the one thing I guess I have a problem with this whole set piece is it's uncharacteristically sloppy. Like, they're trying to just mask their getaway mm-hmm. and cover their tracks. And there's a line where he sends Xenia off to investigate this noise from the break room. And he says, their fastest response is going to be 20 minutes. And don't worry, they'll be late. Which tells me, plenty of time. Take your time. She goes in there, looks, sees someone in the vent and just shoots at the vent. And then scampers off and is like, yep, job done. Like, is Xenia yeah. on a top? Uh, so sexually Twitter pated that she just can't do her job properly. It seems like it, yeah. Like, it's... I mean, she fails to kill Bond at least twice. Yeah, uh, the entire time she's orgasming during it. Yeah, she probably can't see straight in those yeah. moments. Yeah, there's no, there, but there's no, no need. Slow down. Take your time there. <laughs> properly clean up this mess. It's gonna. Your lives might depend on it. Um, yeah, the first, the first watch of this that we did. Um, uh, as a Netflix party, I was questioning like why they needed this helicopter to pull this stunt off because they're they're compounding their risk here, right? Like they're trying to steal this thing so they can go blow this facility up and not be phased by it. And I think it mostly tracks. Mm-hmm. I think like having it, it seems apparent to me that what they did is they went back after they had written the plot of this movie and said, okay, what device can we give them that can get them out of this situation? Mm-hmm. It needs to have stealth so that they can't be tracked after right. the fact. And it needs to have the EMP resistance. Right. Uh, and so those are the two qualities they gave the chopper. Mm-hmm. Although I did a little research on, on choppers in the course of this and cause there's that one scene where they, they strap uh bond and Natalia into the chopper and fire the missiles. And right. it's going to come right back and blow them up. Right. Apparently, the the first chopper that went into service uh, that had an ejection system went into service in 1995 or 19. Yeah, 1995 in the Russian military. Interesting. So this is like not a total anachronism. Yeah, I've heard that like the, the modern choppers do have that like where explosive bolts on the the rotor system and then l- launch it out. Because previously, obviously, if you're going down in a helicopter, the last thing you want to do is eject. Because you just you answer the age old question, will it blend in the affirmative? Uh Um, 
I so I want to talk about some other like this kind of throwback stuff is like when you Bond meets uh, M for the first time and Money Penny uh, and it's just like wall to wall sexual harassment and sexism. This this uh, takes place in this world where everyone's attractive, everyone can get it, and everyone is super into it. Um, but and I'm like, it's also ex- almost exactly like the Bridget Jones di- Bridget Jones diary situation where like she is being sexually harassed by uh, Hugh Grant in this movie, but she's like super into it and it's sexy and fun. Um, I've actually, I just watched Bridget Jones diary like last month and I kept on uh, like so many one-to-one comparisons between like the sexual office fantasies in James Bond and Bridget Jones and how like poorly all that shit is aged by 2020. Yeah. I mean, there's a fine line between sexual harassment and, coy flirtation it's i mean it's very overt here and they yeah. cross the line certainly but oh yeah like there is a line somewhere uh i don't know about bridget jones diary but this movie crosses it uh and then they have uh judy dent show up as m which is the first uh, female m that they've ever had and she's james bond superior and uh she instantly commands respect because she's judy dench and she's a badass and they play like it's funny because james bond's on team hunch and Judy Dench is on team. I only look at numbers and expert advice and statistical analysis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 43 year old Aaron is totally on team numbers at this point. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Like if you bet team gut versus team numbers, you're going to win way more on team numbers. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess there's like a point where the numbers make more sense than the gut. And that's after the investigation. Like, I, I think you can use James Bond as a tool to investigate these things yeah. on his gut and his hunch. Yeah. But but you have to make the big decisions about, like, who dies and who lives and, uh, you know, where we align our countries, things like that, based on the numbers, based on the facts. Yeah. Yeah, I... I kind of actually like how they work together because you kind of see that where she will absolutely use him to further the investigation. But, you know, yeah. until she gets hard evidence, um, hey, you know, we're not going to go kill a bunch of people just because you think this this helicopter is going to be in some kind of con- giant worldwide global conspiracy. Now, if anything, she needs better intelligence, better analysts, because uh, those were the people steering her wrong. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe if the entire department wasn't undermining her. Because right. she's a woman. Because like everyone was, it's essentially like even Money Penny's like rolling her eyes about this, you know, stuffy old M evil queen of numbers, yeah, drinking bourbon, kind of. Oh fucking yeah, what just was with that? Drinking American hooch. What the hell? What the mm-hmm. hell? Uh, and then we get to see. I think this is one of the last, maybe the second to last role for Old Q. Um, yeah, I want to say he was in at least one more. Yeah, because he passed the torch to John Cleese. Yeah. Um. Eventually. But I was kind of disappointed in the gadgets of this film. Uh, you know, he's got a full on spy hunter car that he never gets to use because I guess mm-hmm. the BMW sponsorship arrived very late in the filming process. Um, and the, the, the equipment's kind of underwhelming. He's got a laser watch, which is pretty standard James Bond shit, a pin grenade and a Batman belt. Yeah. Like far cry from the jetpacks of of old and, and self-contained scuba devices in a pin from from james bond of my youth oh i mean the the 
things they talk about are cooler than the things they use. Those ICBM missiles coming out of the headlights, that'd be mm, pretty sweet. Yes. I think they're Stinger missiles, not intercontinental ballistic missiles. But <laughs> They're not? Oh, man. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you can launch I, nukes I was hoping there. he could just take out <laughs> Russia from London. <laughs> uh, done and done. Um, speaking of the plot, there's like they introduced the CIA guy uh, played by John De- uh, Joe Don Baker, the CIA hmm. agent Wade. Um, and they have this kind of like, you know, the CIA, this Americans not taking the spy craft seriously. And I was kind of rolling my eyes about it. But then James Bond, like, makes him take it ser- seriously. And it's mm. a pretty good, like, physical comedy, like, you know, with him using a sledgehammer to fix this this rundown, shitty Russian utilitarian vehicle. Um, but they also, like, have this dialogue that establishes the mystery of Janice and kind of like why he's a big deal. And the fact that he lives on a fucking Russian nuclear missile train, a decommissioned missile train, which sounds like fucking cool. Like as a James Bond layer, um, actually Janice has two of the best James Bond layers of all time, the nuclear missile train and the underwater radar base station. Mm, Both of those top tier evil villain bond bases in my, in my opinion, yeah. Um, I thought Zukovsky was fun, played by Robbie. Is it Coltrane? The guy that played the Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies? I don't know his name. Um, and the thing about Bond films is like half the time when Bond finds out about a contact, he's always referencing like the time that he fought with him before. And I'm like, is this a Dalton era villain that I wasn't aware of? And I I guess not. It's one of the ones where they just allude to the fact that James Bond has many more adventures than we get to see. Um, I thought he was really good and another kind of like funny scene um, where he's interrogating Bond by shooting at his balls and his knees and um, And Minnie Driver shows up in that scene which I had totally forgotten she was in this out of no well this is at the very dawn of her career this is just before Goodwill Hunting this is before Tarzan this is before a lot of like this is where she was a semi-struggling actress trying to break through and she does this bad off-key stand by your man like drunken uh-huh. russian stripper being indulged by her boyfriend slash boss at his strip club uh yeah, yeah. no but yeah out of nowhere mini driver mm-hmm. uh they explain the cost so they explain uh the cossack stuff this lintz cossacks uh did you do any uh digging into like the cultural significance of this reveal yeah, because um, I didn't understand like the betrayal and why Trevelyan would feel, or uh, you know, Janice, who, whoever, uh, mm-hmm. would feel so uh, betrayed by the British government. Mm-hmm. But once I looked even on the surface level, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It was apparently like a group of uh, soldiers who fought with the Nazis, I guess, and part of like the the deal that they had at the end of world war two was with the British to not repatriate them. Yeah. Uh, because they would be killed as traitors. Right. Uh, and, and the British w- said, Oh yeah, we won't do that. Don't worry. Turns around and they do that. And so, so many of them were killed by the, the Russian government after they were repatriated. Yeah. And you might think, Oh, they worked with the Nazis. They were like bad guys, but, and I'm not going to, I mean, I, I don't have the qualifications to do the historical analysis to see who's good and who's bad, No, but their history goes back to, uh, they were a big part of the, um, the white Russian movement, which was back in the (laughs) Russian, the, yeah. So, you know, they got the milk, they got the vodka, (laughs) right? The Kahlua, the Kahlua. 
but this was a broad coalition of essentially anti-communist um, forces that fought in the the Russian war. Like they were, there's a coalition of like pro-imperial supporting the Tsar forces, liberal Republicans, and anti-communists that all fought against the Red Faction, the Bolsheviks in the the, the Russian Civil War. And mm-hmm. so as a result, they you know whenever there was a time to like fight against that regime, they sided with the Axis powers. Um, more of a convenience than probably a, a diehard, you know, uh, case of Nazism. But, but yeah, yeah. Everything else you said was was true. They got uh, they were supposed to be treated as allied prisoners of war, but they got sent back to Russia, and promptly, almost all of them were either sent to Siberia t- uh, to work in labor camps or outright killed. Yeah. Um, and this film was released on the fiftieth fiftieth anniversary of that event, hmm. which is pretty cool. Interesting. Uh, um, trivia. Yeah, they, they make a, another uh, uh, they extend sort of the, the lore here where Alec's parents were people who survived that repatriation repatri- yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that purging, yeah. And and then out of some, I guess, survivor's guilt or something, his, his father eventually ended up killing himself and his mother uh, sometime after that. Murder-suicide. Yeah. Um, so they, then we get, uh, this incredible, uh, scene in this Soviet statute park, which is like, it it feels like a meeting within the bones of the decaying, like old Soviet union. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you have like James Bond sent here by this new Russian, uh, ally of his. And then Sean Bean, this is at the halfway point in the movie. Uh, he reveals himself to like, yeah, I used to be a double Oh six and you know, uh, here's my whole history with the Cossacks and this is why I'm doing this. And, um, I thought it was a real genuine betrayal. One of the things that makes with him an iconic Bond villain. And I really, really enjoyed it. And the, the imagery, too, I think, extends sort of to Bond. Like, you've got this guy who we're talking about as a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, relic of the past uh, in it's amongst right in. all these other relics of the past. It's it's a really striking visual scene. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that happen. I don't know, because I, I, I've got the set pieces that I'm covering, like, separately. Um, but there's the things where, like, because Oromov, for most of the movie, is able to, like, work within legitimate Russian organization and like mm-hmm. bond forces him to break his cover and go rogue um and then natalia and bond get separated after this big t- tank battle that we're going to talk about um then the the their train hideout gets quickly disposed of um and then they wind up in cuba and this is the part where the movie really drags because as i said bond and natalia have zero chemistry and there's very little reason for them uh, to fall in love, but they give this bullshit like, well, you got to wait until 0600 the next morning to do your insertion because that's when the radar overlapping window is going to be just right. And yeah. it gives Bond time to brood over killing his friend, which is okay. But then they mix in this romance angle, and you know, Natalia screaming at him for being immature and boys and just killing, and you don't feel anything. And it, it sucks. It sucks. It's not great. Yeah, they're they're going surface level on that stuff. Um, it's not embedded into the fabric of the film. Other other than that, uh, and, and yeah, I think immersively it's it's very short. Mm-hmm. Like this is maybe a two three minute interlude here. Yeah, until we get back to the stuff that we really care about in this movie. Well, I also feel like they 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 like panicked and like oh my god, we've had this so called Bond girl dressed up like a kindergarten substitute teacher. <laughs> Holy shit, get her in a bikini. Get her in a, a diaphanous uh-huh. dress that's going to hug her body. We got to gotta sex this up. Oh, my God. 
Uh, and that's exactly what they do. Uh, yeah. It just, yeah, it just feels really, really kind of sh- uh, shoehorned. Um, but like you said, we go on to the under the under lake satellite dish, which I thought was a really cool concept and a very good use of the uh, Arcebo satellite dish also seen in uh, the movie Contact. Huh. Okay. Yeah, they like they use that real life location, but then they also use a big detailed model that they built of it to like flood and and uh, deflood. Um, and yeah, it's neat. Like as a CIA guys, like hey, uh, there's not a satellite dish that exists in Cuba this big because you know we pay a lot of attention to what goes on in Cuba, and well, they hit it in the lake. Pretty interesting. Yeah. This you talked a little bit about this being sort of a transitional bond, and I really think it's transitional in a lot of ways. You know, it's a, it's a new bond. Yeah. Uh, as from the character standpoint, but also. When I look at this movie, I see them trying to synthesize old technology, which is like, you know, tanks and guns and uh, to a large degree, like this heavy machinery that you see with this new uh, warfare in the digital realm with like satellite communications and computer hacking, things like that. It's it's very awkward and it's it's not refined in this movie. And mm. later, James Bonds will do it much, much better. Uh but this is sort of like in 1995 where my head was at. And this sort of like defined what was, I guess, spy cool to me at the time. Like you, you had other things around the James Bond wasn't the only spy game in town, but right. it, it sort of was doing those kinds of things on a level that I hadn't seen. And I don't know if that's because I was just very young and hadn't seen a lot of movies or if that was because this was doing something interesting at the time. But yeah, there's this weird blend that I really appreciated. Uh, uh, right down to like the EMP itself, like yeah. that concept. I don't think I was aware of it as a 13 year old watching this movie. So this thing blew my mind with that. Yeah, as I first my first introduction, I did some research because I wondered that on the the Netflix uh, watch party we did. Like, where was the first cinematic EMP? And I guess it happened. Like there was a old in the old uh, puppet version of Thunderbirds, there was a plot involving EMPs in the like early seventies. Wow! And then there was some stuff in the mid eighties where they there's a plot around an EMP or a non nuclear EMP. Um, but this was definitely like my first exposure to it, and like oh my god, like yeah, you can uh, you can harm a country without damaging its physical infrastructure. You can destroy its information infrastructure. Yeah. And that's just as debilitating, like because it's tempting to say that, like, uh, Janice's plot here uh, was just to steal money. Like it's a it's mm-hmm. a smash and grab. But really, the thing that gets him off is taking England back to Stone Age. Yeah. You know, like destroying all of its electric and, and uh, uh, information infrastructure, um, which, yeah, pretty, pretty cool concept. Um, I like James Bond, like willing Boris to click that that pin three times. Uh-huh. Cause they established this guy's like one handed coding and he's like, as a nervous habit, like twirling this pin and he clicks it like once or twice or, and like Pierce Bronson is just kind of like boring his eyes <laughs> into Boris's skull to like, come on, click it a third time. You fuck. Because he's also, <laughs> he's also flooded this whole facility with like gasoline or kerosene yeah. or diesel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's an enclosed space. This is happening like 12 foot over your heads. The whole place would immediately reek like a refinery. But yeah. nobody notices. Everyone's got allergies. It's really bad in, in Puerto Rico that time of year. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't. It's 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 cool. Like at the, at the end of this movie, like Nat, Natalia gets to use a gun. She gets to use all of her hacking skills on a head to head face off against Boris, which she's able to best him. Um, and 
Boris gets his one final I'm invincible because he does oh, the survival of him in that like bunker destruction is pretty incredible yeah he's got all that rubble around him and, and just it, stands up there and then they rupture the nitrogen tanks above him and he gets T-1000 and it's pretty good it's there pretty are good. a lot of good lines that's a, that's a great line it's iconic um, but there are some really just zingers in here um, it, there's one point at which Alex says uh, England's about to learn the cost of betrayal inflation adjusted for 1945 mm-hmm. and I'm like oh that is such a good line <laughs> yeah uh, and then, of course, like for England, James, no, mm-hmm. for me, and he drops him. Yeah, uh, that's classic as well. Yeah, just just a lot of good writing here, you know. And most of it is tongue in cheek and silly and uh, that kind of thing. But but they have those callbacks, like you know, do you do you choose friendship over the mission? Do you choose a relationship yeah. over the mission? People over the mission, and that like it's played out for like three or four times. Uh, mm-hmm. In the first scene, obviously, and then, you know, when he's put in a situation where he can only has time to, like, stop uh, Janice or rescue Natalia, uh, and he picks that, and then at the end where he's like, you know, are you doing this for England? He's like, no, nah, I'm doing it for me. Uh, yeah, that, really that's good. the thing. I mean, Alec Trevelyan has always, um, I guess, he looks at what the British did, and he sees that they valued the mission over people, right? There was some political gain that they saw in trading these people back to russia mm-hmm. um or back to the soviet union well, so it paid like, off too because we were fast friends with russia throughout the 50s 60s 70s and 80s i mean just the the pay the the payoff for that betrayal was immense i mean who can argue with it <laughs> right so like <laughs> there's there's a question in alex's mind like where, where does james lie on these uh on the spectrum and I think, he, you know, the the very beginning of this movie informs his opinion on that. But over the course of the movie, we see that James Bond actually isn't all about the mission, right? Like mm-hmm. when he chooses to save Natalia versus shooting uh, Alec in the head in that moment, he's making a choice of people over mission. Yeah. And I think it, it's it's a little hard to see. And maybe it's because it's muddy. But somewhere in this movie, there is a theme of like people versus politics or people versus like political gain and i think they do a pretty good job of wrapping that all in yeah uh i agree uh so i want to talk about the set pieces because that's like what james bond is all about in fact um i realize how much similarity there is between like a james bond film and a fast and furious film where like i do believe and i in my research it seemed out at least in the modern bonds this is true where they invent largely invent the set pieces and then write the plot around them in fact there was two set pieces that was cut from this film that then showed up in tomorrow never dies uh what were those i don't know i can't remember okay. i just uh something about outrunning a nuclear explosion i don't I, the, <laughs> on a moped that uh, was yeah, chain reaction that might be chain reaction keanu reeves but <laughs> uh, but it does they do share a lot of the same kind of like what is a wild stunt we can do and then yeah. how can we fit that in a plot like for example uh there's a lot made about this movie stunt uh, featuring the highest bungee jump in the world from a fixed structure at the time and might even be still standing it was a uh, a 722 feet bungee jump that this guy actually did the stunt man that dam is actually 720 feet high uh i don't know that that dam is because i tried okay. to find out the exact this is a dam in switzerland or maybe sweden and it didn't look i think they did some trick photography to make it look even higher yeah. Um, but the wherever he did bungee jump was 720 feet tall and they gave him a, a, a part in the movie. He was the uh, uh, tiger helicopter pilot that uh, Xenia on a top shot 
That was the guy okay. who did the 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 had like the oh, it must be my lucky day or I don't know yeah. what he said. You you must have come here to shoot me in the heart. Um, <laughs> one of the things that makes this scene really work, I think, is just how cool it is to see two double O agents going about their business. Like it's just them clocking in and going to work at the office. Um, yeah. the way they move, the way they cover each other, the way, um, they just have this kind of easygoing, like quippy, um, camaraderie felt really cool. I remember, especially as a young man thinking how cool it was. Um, yeah, this, this opening scene just embodies everything James Bond to me. Yeah. Um, you've got the, the really, the really talented, uh, spies doing their spy craft. Uh, you know, it's an action scene primarily, but also you've got a lot of humor in there too. Like that cart, he's pushing uh with the the gas canisters on it and no one wants to shoot him it's got the squeaky wheel i don't know if you noticed that but oh yeah as he's going across it's dead silence except for this wheel just going squeak squeak every once in a while it's just classic and British this, humor. this martin campbell's a really good director and uh, so to that point like that's a funny scene but they also ground it because like a uh, when the russian conscripts accidentally shoots and then oromov just sh- uh, turns around instantly executes him and he's got yeah. this performance where he kind of like gasps like this guy's terrified this is a, uh-huh. this is like cx nerve gas or vx nerve gas from the fucking rock and if it gets out they're all going to die screaming so uh-huh. like he's taking it real it, it, it gives like tension and stakes to even the scene that's kind of like uh on the surface humorous also i dig this like deep basso profundo bongo remix of the 007 theme we gotta talk about the soundtrack okay because i and, yeah. i think this is a great soundtrack but i guess i'm a minority a lot of people reviled these remixes these kind of like uh industrial remixes of the james bond theme um there is one hmm. uh the the car chase set piece it's got some it's of the worst awful. score I've ever, ever fucking heard. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't remember a worse song in any movie, not just mm-hmm. a Bond movie. Yeah, it reminded me, I said, of like a, like a training video you'd see on day one of Walmart employee orientation. Like, yeah. you know, uh, this, uh, something about shrinkage. This is a this is a video of how we can all do our part to decrease shrink. You know, it's got this like stuff in the background. But okay, what do you think of the soundtrack? I already think Gold Knight of Theme is amazing. I love yeah. this like techno, deep bassy kind of booming uh, Gold Knight soundtrack. I love. Plus, it's also the soundtrack is all in, in entwined with my memory of the video game soundtrack, which I remember as being superior. So this is the problem because I think you're thinking mostly of the video game soundtrack. I yeah. think that video game has a better score than this entire movie. Hmm. And there there are a couple exceptions. Like you said, there's the the actual intro theme song, which is The mm-hmm. Golden Eye by mm-hmm. Tina Turner. And then there's the, you know, the very low sort of rumbly uh, James Bond theme. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I think the mo- the movie's music is poor to middling. Hmm. Uh, in most places, it just uninspired in a lot of places, can you and give me, like, downright some, awful in some. Can you give me some concrete examples of like? Because I guess I don't notice the mediocre stuff, so I just notice when it's like badass. Yeah, the the places I really noticed. I mean, that downhill driving scene was god awful. Yeah, yeah, no, god awful music. T- um, terrible, terrible. But then the the scenes right before James Bond gets the tank, where they're in the I, I think that's the stack. If you're a video mm-hmm. game uh, mm-hmm. player, it, those scenes have mediocre music at best hmm. uh, it should be some of the most exciting music in the entire movie and it's not there it's a nothing of a, a song 
Um, so we also have this plane stunt, which is fucking cool, but it's also one of the most fast and furious things I've ever seen. I love it. And I guess it was practical. Like there, I read an interview, the stunt man that did this stunt. And one of the things that complicated is that, uh, this plane that he was chasing was leaking kerosene out of its exhaust. So he was getting splat sprayed with like this fine mist of kerosene as he's trying (laughs) to catch up to this plane. Uh, which I thought it was all composited, but like if they actually did that somewhere, then this is like a 10 out of 10 stunt. Right, uh, right. And it's and that's, that's it's, the thing about the stunts in this movie um, and the, the effects in this movie. Mm-hmm. When they actually do something, it looks really, really good. Like a lot of this tank stuff looked amazing. Mm. When they try and fudge it and composite some stuff, it looks really weak. Yeah. It doesn't hold up to today's standards at all. Yeah. But a lot of it, because this was like... Um, one of the last movies to kind of really use like models and miniatures. You can tell like uh, yeah. the uh, the Arcebo facility, like uh, especially when it first starts, like it ends its draining. You can tell that it's like kind of slowed down and reversed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some of the like destruction of the GoldenEye satellite facility very clearly looks like models smashing into each other. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I thought it was, it was really uh, great. What about the car? Okay, let's talk about the car race. It's got terrible, terrible music, but it's got gorgeous cars. It's got like one of these mm-hmm. like luxury grand touring Austin Martin versus like one of the like a, a literal like race car. It's like a, one of the yeah. Ferrari F three fifty somethings. Um, but I think the purpose is it kind of shows you like two elite spies like bond and on a top and then they throw this every woman who is just freaking out the entire time like i would be like mm-hmm. if i was in this car and i think that's to establish the uh, i guess bond between james and this is on a top like they're kind of like of a you know they like mixing their sex and their danger um yeah, they have a lot sure. more in common than they would probably care to admit um but it's also like just to fill out two or three minutes of action. Yeah, I think it, it demonstrates like Bond's ability and maybe also affinity for inserting control into chaotic situations, like yeah. being sort of the master of any any scenario he finds himself in. And this is certainly one of them. Um, the, another uh, set piece is the um, James Bond and Xenia on a top fight in the sauna. Yeah. And I did some research on that, and so Famica Jansen is a formidable woman. She stands at six foot tall, flat, flat-footed, and she, when uh, her and Pierce were working on the scene, she goes, "I want you to slam me into these walls as hard as you can." Mm-hmm. And she ended up breaking a rib in the scene. Oh, uh, yeah, apparently. And uh, Pierce Ouch. broke his he broke his hand in the doing that ladder stunt um, at the <sighs> end of the movie. So there's a lot of injuries in this, but like. Man, James Bond, this mix, like deliberately mixing of sex and violence is wild. Like she's like, they're like treating this as like a fuck scene by both of them. Like James Bond is like getting like sexual asphyxiated and Uh he's enjoying it for what it is. And she's like really having a time of her life getting slammed against those walls and all that stuff. And like he drops her on a hot, her ass, her bare ass on a hot grate at one point. It's fucking like, I don't I don't know. Uh, t- like teenage boys and girls watching this movie, how, how do you come out with about being warped? I, I couldn't tell you. I saw this movie as a teenage boy, and I couldn't tell you how you come out of it be- not being warped. <laughs> uh, the the other thing I wanted to note is uh, along Fomke Jansen's uh, sexual proclivities in this movie. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's not just death and not just pain that turns her on, but also her own death in some ways. Like you watch that train scene where they're barreling toward this tank that is just fired a uh, oh yeah uh, f- fired a shot at it and the front of it's on fire and she's looking at it and she's like practically getting off right there uh huh as as I think she realizes. She says, like, he's trying to derail the train and then, like, lets out this moan. And I'm like, what are you doing, lady? You're about to die, potentially. (laughs) Yeah, there's something, like, she admires the audacity of the the game of chicken he's playing. And she finds it attractive. And she's still nursing that broke rib that he gave her. So, yeah, she's having a great time. Uh, I want to move on to what I think is one of the greatest set pieces in James Bond history. This tank car chase is just fucking cool and it's so straight fast and furious like this tank uh-huh. like it's fast it's powerful it can drive through a, a building like uh four by four can drive through a grass field mm-hmm. uh and they take full advantage of it and like they like the just a way it just tears apart cars and buildings And it's also kind of adorably G.I. Joe. And anytime like Bond runs over a whole bunch of civilian or police cars, they have the scene where they show the dudes like crawling out so that you can, you know, James Bond didn't kill any cops or civilians. Right. He's just even though he has a license to even though he has a license to he's not (laughs) killing, you know, people who are, quote unquote, innocent. Um, Right. I mean, it's just so much fun that that tank scene. I can't imagine being able to do that in real life. Oh, man let alone just piloting a tank, but being able to to drive it over cars and through sets and stuff the way like it that. does like three sixties, like when it spins out on the streets, because I mean, he drifts a tank at one yeah. point right? down the city street. Exactly. And at the point where like, uh, it crashes through a statue and now it's got this charging Pegasus, uh, uh the humor in this scene is top notch too. Like you mentioned the Pegasus, but mm-hmm. there are shots, there are insert shots every once in a while of James Bond stepping on the gas and or brake mm-hmm. in his fancy British dress shoe. And I fucking love it. And then he like, he like after he does some like, kind of casual devastation, he like straightens his tie. Yep. <laughs> so I'm saying Pierce Brosnan is, is the man. Uh, fantastic. Um, and then like, so they have also established this thing where Oromov about this part of the movie just starts drinking heavily. Yeah. Like he keeps on looking back behind him, seeing his tank like honk, honk <laughs> on your ass. And he just like keeps on knocking this flask back. And mm-hmm. then they have this scene where they're they're getting into the the train, and like, James Bond pulls up in like an Overwatch position, like he's being sneaky. Uh, it's a huge with this, train, this giant tank. train that sounds like a hundred factories operating at full capacity. I'm sure. Yep. It's it's so fucking funny. Um, then they have like I I enjoyed the um, the little duel between her trying to trace Boris and the ticking time bomb and him trying to blast all the, the nuts off the laser, the hatch with his laser watch. I thought that was mm-hmm. pretty cool too. And showed her, um, you know, proficiency with hacking. Yep. Um, there's, the, there's no stunt that's like where they get shot down by that Cessna over the, like that was kind of, Ooh, I, yeah, the, the Sam, uh, that hits them probably would have done more damage than take off a wing. Yeah, and like it's very clearly model work when you're seeing it happen too. Mm, um, yeah. I don't know if I like that. Uh, but then it leads into a delightful scene where Xenia on a top comes at him from rappelling in a helicopter, and she's so in character, she comes down with her legs like in full open nutcracker mode. Like she's just ready to go yeah. right for the rib cage. I <laughs> wish they didn't have him 
get kicked. I wish they had her just latch on right there. Come yeah. down off the rope, latch on, and the fight begins. It should have been like a claw machine. She just descends and boom, gets the <laughs> right. lock in right then and there. Um, and I guess there was, the, I, I thought that that death felt uh, um, kind of um, perfunctory. You know, like they set up for like this auto, like, you know, she this is fitting in by auto uh, erotic asphyxiation. But I guess they cut quite a bit of that fight to get a PG-13. Like the, her death was a little bit more gruesome and their fight was more sexually suggestive. But they they they, they cut it down to get a PG-13 rating. OK, how would that fight have been more sexually suggestive than anything that came before? <laughs> I, I well, Th- you then know. a fight with them half nude in a sauna. These these censors. What are you going to tell? What are you going to tell them? You okay. can't tell them nothing. Apparently, there is a really good hand to hand fight. Like this uh, final climactic duel between 006 and 007 is especially for its time. Like you have to get to like uh, um, some of the like Mission Possible Two, which I think happens um, five years after this. You got to get to the Born Identity, which happens several years after this before you get a better one. And yeah. I was really impressed because apparently uh, Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan did like m- the majority of these stunts themselves, even the latter uh, falling down where Pierce, I guess, broke his hand um, hmm. that they, they did that without. Uh, now, I, I I can't I don't know, because like, some of those things where they're flipping backwards over like metal staircases and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure when Alec gets thrown down the staircase or when he when James Bond tumbles down the ladder. Yeah. And like lands on the little platform. I'm sure that man. Wasn't I don't because they them. they they cited out in this interview. I read the only thing that was done by stunt people is when like one of them got thrown against the wall or something. I'm like that can't. But I don't know hmm. if you get your you get your hands. I, I know they did a lot of compositing, like um, mm-hmm. that final where they're fighting like above the the main dish and it's very Luke Skywalker and like dangling off a weather vane and Bespin. Um, that was clearly all blue screened and composited, but it looked amazing. Oh yeah, and they like doing long cuts the cameras staying on them and they are just like throwing haymakers and trying to kill each other it, it was very very believable and you know mm-hmm. it's very cold and ruthless and efficient i i fucking loved it i loved it uh yeah there's a scene before that um where james bond first shows up to that facility mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what to call it but the the second golden eye uh operation center yeah the under, and- under lakes station yeah, and uh, Alec Trevelyan tells his men, his guards, uh, the security team to go kill him. Mm-hmm. He just, which I don't know why he thinks that'll work in the first place. He's been trying literally all movie to kill this guy, right? And and nobody's been successful. So just saying, go kill him. Especially since he's a he's a he's double oh six. Like he should be able to say, could these guys kill me? No. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, maybe not order them <laughs> off to the bit. So that's the thing. They go out and they capture James Bond. Like he gives himself up, kind of. Uh, but they capture James Bond and they bring him back to the operations center. Uh-huh. And Alex Trevelyan doesn't go, what the fuck? I told you to kill this man. Instead, they brought him right to the central nervous center mm-hmm. of his entire operation. <laughs> Why doesn't he just execute every single one of these idiots? I don't know. I mean, that's 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 <laughs> James Bond. Like, why did he give him three minutes the same or why did he give him the same uh, six minutes he gave him? Uh, I mean that's that's fine. That's one thing, but when you directly give an order to your security team and they don't follow your order, yeah, you look at what Oromov did yeah. to that guy, right? Oromov should have been in charge. You let this Cossack yeah. run things and they fuck it up. Uh, that reminds me also, like you you pointed this out during our uh, Netflix party. 
to really fuck James Bond, he should have given the same three minutes by giving him a minute and a half. Yeah, tell him I gave you the same six minutes that you gave me. Yeah. James Bond will think three, and it'll really be a minute and a half. Yeah, because he would have been, they would have been, like, not even halfway through to tracing. He wouldn't have half those bolts (laughs) blown off, and he'd have have died. He'd have died. He'd have died, and you'd have won, and you would have avenged your parents, and all Cossacks everywhere, and look Mm -hmm. where he'd be. But, you know, Sean Bean, it's in every contract he signs. He's got to die. He He died twice in this. Dies twice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a James Bond movie. You only die twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk? There's something else that you wanted to talk about, which is the GoldenEye video game. Yeah. Uh, and I'm all for it because I remember you guys and your friend group was about five years younger than me when we grew up together. Um, and I was, you know, like a veteran of like Doom and even I think Quake by this time. But this was the first. 3d shooter that your your gang had ever like gotten their hooks into so i got i got sucked into it too and i have many many fond memories of playing four player goldeneye at your house or you know uh peter peter street's house our old co-host uh you want to wax nostalgic about goldeneye for a bit i mean it's it's probably it's one of the finest games on the nintendo 64 uh it's the first shooter that was on a console that really made a damn bit of sense mm-hmm. um, with its control schemes and how it handled and stuff. It was it was a really excellent game for the time and the platform. Although I will say it's it's pretty much dependent on the platform because there were a lot of PC shooters around at the time that were far superior. Sure, but on a console, this was the best experience you could get. And I'm amazed watching this movie again uh, and having recently seen a full playthrough of GoldenEye as uh, the video game as well just how closely the video game follows the movie down to the layouts of the facilities that they're in. Like you look at that first uh, portion of the movie where he's going in through the bathroom and he's like going down into the weapons plant. Yeah. What we know is the the facility in the game. Mm -hmm. That is a one-to-one recreation of the scenes from the film. Yeah. You pop out of that, that shitter vent just like you do in the video, in the video game, just like you do the movie. There's the the central hub in the middle of the bathroom yep. with the sinks. You come down the stairs in the exact same place. There's a doorway with the storage room in the exact place. Yeah, you fight. It's, it's they did a hell of a job matching what they saw in the film with what they made in the game. Yeah, the facility, the stacks, library, archives. Uh, they, those are just a multiplayer. There's also just a, in the single player campaign, you actually go through that spooky Russian statue graveyard. Right, and right. Have some memorable uh, shootouts there. Like it's. The end of the game is the cradle, just like it is here. Um, mm-hmm. And you're running up catwalks, and it has the same chase with Alec Trevelyan, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of running around trying to find him, and and everything's blowing up around you. And yeah. it's incredible. I remember this is maybe the best licensed video game, certainly of the time, but maybe of all time. I remember one of my favorite gags we used to do is when we were readying up to f- play four player. Uh, you like to play Boris, mm-hmm. and when you selected the, bo- the 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 character's face. <laughs> It would get larger. Yeah. And then you could cancel out of it. It would get smaller again. And you would rock back and forth where its face would be getting bigger and smaller. And you would go, Boris, 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 Boris. Yes. yes. As an as an intimidation factor. <laughs> While everybody's picking their characters. Yeah. We had a couple, like, you, you, we banned Odd Job. We did. He's too, he's too short. His hitboxes were too small. Arguably Boris. There's no way Boris's hitbox was as big as like Bond or Sean who's, Bean. Who's or, to say? Or who's that? The Jaws. He had the like the biggest hitbox. That was kind of a flex if oh, you played yeah. him. 
Um, and then there's like uh, rules about how like because you all play on the same screen, like rules about like where whether you could look at people's screen or not look at people's screen or. We constantly did. Yeah. I mean, th- that was kind of the rule. The de facto rule was: Did you guys ever do? You can one... see it, so you got to do it. Did you guys ever do like uh, tape a blanket to half of the screen, and one guy goes under the blanket? One because I've, I've I've seen <laughs> no. photo, I've seen pictures where like uh, they tape a blanket over to the bottom half of the screen, and someone would go under the hood to play that side of it, and then the person on top couldn't couldn't see them, <laughs> and vice versa. Nice. I thought maybe you guys would because I remember that being pretty heated. Like, oh, if you're just going to fucking watch the doorway, then I'm not going to, you well, know. It, it kind of became pointless anyway because the, that game had, uh, let's say, really poor uh, respawn strategies. Mm, so basically, right. there was a set pattern where you would constantly respawn here, then there, yeah. then there, then there. And there were like six different spots, all of which were in range, especially in the stacks, mm. uh, in the stack, with, all of which were in running range in the time that it took to respawn. So, and if you got too close to them, it would jump to the next point, but you could stay just far enough away from the spawn point to train your gun on exactly where they would spawn spawn and then shoot them dead the the second they spawn. And the weapon balance was not super great, too. Like, if you got the one that was the RCP-90 or, like, the grenade launcher, it was like, you're the grim fucking reaper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clob on your knob, I remember that being... (laughs) (laughs) There was no contest. It was... Yeah. And a great soundtrack. I remember. Um, so last time I thought about GoldenEye seriously, was a couple of years back when they did a source port of it and they did like um, remastering of all the the soundtrack. And one of the yeah. greatest things that came out of that project is you could download all of those songs as MP3 files. And they definitely got added to my ambient music library because it's yeah. really good music to like program to or do analysis, some kind of data analysis work to. No, I really think the soundtrack for the game is better than the score of this film. It's too bad because like the the GameCube or is it N sixty four? The N sixty four controller. If they knew what they're doing, they could have in, implemented like a, a true twin stick style, where the C button you could have like strafed and looked up and down, and then the mm. stick would have been movement. But they didn't quite nail that. I don't think they 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 quite had the twins because they they had all the 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 parts to do a, a twin stick shooter they just didn't know what you know um and also the other problem with the the at the the way that thing was off axis is you had to decide whether you want to be able to switch weapons and throw grenades and shit or move and look up and down you couldn't do both yeah. at the same time no it was not an ideal controller yeah uh, playstation controller the dual shock uh was much much better yeah so one last thing before we sign off here uh, it's pretty pointless, but I was curious because in this movie they say something about James Bond drinking vodka martinis. Yes, they uh, do. And how he drinks them all the time. I was under the impression that James Bond was a regular martini kind of guy and mm. that he would be drinking the gin martini, which gotcha. is, I think, your standard martini. Uh, I, so I went and I looked this up mm-hmm. and I did some research. I read through the Wikipedia article uh, and found out that According to the books, which I think are probably the most canon of anything yeah. James Bond. Sure. Over the course of those, he has had 19 vodka martinis. He's had only 16 gin martinis. 16? 16. Oh, that's yep. pretty close. I thought you're going to. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty close. But then he's got this. The signature drink of James Bond is actually something called a Vesper martini. Really? Which is a combination of the two. It's it's a little bit of vodka, a little bit of gin. And, and a couple drops called... of Ava Green Sweat. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and something called K 
Kina Lille, I think is how you say this. this is a French aperitif made from uh, white wine, fruits, and quinine, the stuff in like tonic water. Oh. Uh, Doesn't that cure so, coronavirus too? Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, go out and stock up on tonic water. Just drink a lot of it. Actually, that, that's funny if you mentioned that because actually it is a cure for like malaria and some other diseases. Yeah, I thought I recognized the, the name. Huh. Right. Wild. Uh, so yeah, uh, but apparently, like the Vesper is only mentioned once. It's like named after Vesper Lind, which I guess was the original Bond girl. Yeah, uh, and she's like uh, the casino, the 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 heroine of Casino Royale, the played by Eva Green. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I guess he has drank more vodka martinis uh, in his life, or in his life as the superhero James Bond. But statistically, it's pretty half and half. It is, yeah. Like it was 19 versus 6. It was 19 versus 16. That's pretty close. Yep. And then it uh, sounds like the, the mainstay was the Vesper. No, so was the Vesper, did you say that was uh, vodka or? It's both. It's vodka and gin. Oh, okay. It's just the, the one thing that makes it special. Gotcha. Right. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks for that uh, uh, alcoholic update. I noticed from the forums that like uh, people are running out of booze in this uh, quarantine situation and coming up with some uh, interesting solutions. Uh, just I doubt don't... anybody's got any Kina Lille laying around. No, just laying around, just in the back of <laughs> maybe the, the French, ba- ba- in the back of the liquor cabinet. Nah. Uh, well, anyway, this has been fun. Thanks for joining us for a discussion of Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with another bald movie. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, majestic Jim Carrey period piece directed by Frank Darabont, Walking Dead's own, uh, and it uh, debuted in 2001. So, 2001 film, The Majestic. We'll be back here on next Thursday to talk about that. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we'll see you for another Bald Movie next week. See ya.